as Pastor Adam introduced this this morning, that this is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, the scripture that uh, is going to be read for us, we've actually asked a number of people to read in uh, a native language to, to, uh, that, they would be, that they would speak or that they would be familiar with. So those of you who are reading, I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe I can read them off, but I know Hilmer Lemke is going to be reading in German, Evan Wang in Korean, Lorraine Janassi, in, uh, she's from Zimbabwe. So what's the actual language spoken? Shona. Okay. And then Shiny Abraham is going to read uh, in an Indian dialect, and then Reen Nawar in Arabic. So if you would all come and they'll read your part. I believe the English verses will be up on here, but I have... I wonder if Kale's going to be able to keep up because he's not going to know what they're actually saying. But they'll each be reading just a couple of verses. Um, but uh, let's follow along as they read. Your first read. Oh, no. Good morning, TCC. I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And I'm reading in Shona, verse 1. Jino Zuvare Pentecosti Rakati Rashika Vakanga Vakaunga Navose Pamwechete Panjimbe Mwechete Verse two Pakarepo Kutinira Sokwe Mepo Inovuvuta Nesimba Kwakavakudenga Kukazadza Imba Yose Mavankanga Vagere First three and four in Korean Machi Prehya Churam Kalajan Gatri Kudrege Poyo Verses 5 and 6. Verses 7 to 10. Sie entsetzten sich aber als alle, verwundert sich und sprachen untereinander, Sehe, sind nicht diese alle, die da reden aus Galiläa? Wir hören wir denn eine jegliche seine Sprache, darin wir geboren sind. Parter und Meder und Elemeter und die, wir wohnen in Mesopotamien und Juda und Kasadonien, Pontus und Asien, Phrygien und Pamphylien, Ägypter und an den Enden von Libyen, bei Kyrene und Ausländer von Rom. Verse 11 to 13. كريتيون وعرب نسمعهم يتكلمون بألسنتنا بعظائم الله فتحير الجميع وارتابوا قائلين بعضهم لبعض ما عسى أن يكون هذا وكان آخرون يستهزئون قائلين إنهم قد امتلأوا سلافة من كلمة الرب The Word of the Lord Oh, thank you. That was awesome. The significance of that hopefully will become clearer in just a few in just a few minutes. 
Uh, it was around this time last year, actually Pentecost Sunday, that Ed Stetzer, who is a, uh, <clears throat> a theologian, he's a professor at Wheaton College, he tweeted out, um, Happy Pentecost Sunday. And to you Baptists, Happy Sunday. <laughs> and, and, and when I read that, at first I was actually, uh, I found it humorous, um, but then it also cut a little too close to the truth. The reality is that as Baptists, I think unfortunately, we uh, rarely talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. Let me put it that way. And the Holy Spirit is obviously a massive theological topic. And we're just going to scratch the surface today. And maybe, in fact, you'll end up with more questions than answers. And then I would just encourage you to dive in and study this if this is of interest to you further. And maybe someday we need to do a deeper dive into just understanding the person and the work of the Holy, Holy Spirit. The fact is that you and I need the Holy Spirit more than we realize. As we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. Could I substitute the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. Now, I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but I often find that my prayers sometimes default to some common themes. And some years ago, it seemed that all my prayers ended up focusing somehow on the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But lately, I don't know exactly when it started, but I've noticed a pattern in my life where I started to pray a lot more often for kind of these similar themes, praying for the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, praying for the presence of Jesus. And you know that this theme this year that we've had is with, that God is with us, and so I think that's had a part in it. But not only that, not only praying for God's presence, but for His peace, that we would know it in relationship to Him and with one another, and that we would know his power. And so fortunately for me, I felt like as I was unpacking this passage and studying and thinking, how does this play itself out? I find all of these themes uh, um, in this particular passage that was read for us. Now, as we start on this, I want to just simply ask you this very, very simple question, and I'll unpack it as we go. But do you want more? Do you want more? You see, we talk about living this full and abundant life in Jesus, but maybe, in fact, that isn't your experience. And if you're honest with yourself, your, your faith journey might be a little blah, maybe a little dry. Maybe you're just kind of grinding it out right now, and your experience is far from the full and abundant life that, we, that, that, that the abundant life would expect. Now, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the key to the abundant Christian life is living a Spirit-filled life, one that has more of the Spirit's presence, peace, and power in our lives. So let's dive into the Word. What actually happened at Pentecost? Because what we have here in Acts chapter 2 is another historical, factual event recorded for us in all of its dramatic and miraculous detail by Luke the historian. He made sure that we would have a record of this event now, like all good history, we have a time and place. Time is listed, is uh, explained right in the opening phrase of verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came. So it was a very specific day, a specific time. Penta is Greek for 50, and the time, as Adam had said at the introduction, is that it was 50 days after the Passover. And the Passover was this Jewish festival, a pilgrimage festival, where Jews that had been scattered all gathered in Jerusalem. 
Now, the place where this, where this event took place, we don't know the exact place. It's most likely that it was the same upper room where they were gathering in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. But what we do know is exactly what Luke writes. He says that they were all together in one place. And that just kind of has some echoes of Pastor Adam's message last week where he talked about how these people, in their waiting, they pressed into community because they were together. And so if you just stop and pause here for a second and think about the timeline of the life of Jesus. We have, we have God beco- becoming Jesus, becoming man, God incarnate. He lives and then he's crucified and dies on the Passover. He's resurrected on the third day. He then has these 40 days where he appears to his disciples. And, uh, and, and on the 40th day, he gathers them together and he tells them again, to wait in Jerusalem. We saw this in Acts chapter 1 in the opening verses, verses 4 and 5, where he said this. He says, just listen, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave. Stay right where you are, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, 10 days to be exact, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so then on that 40th day, he ascended into heaven, and now, 10 days later, or 50 days after Pentecost, the wait was over. And in a spectacular way, in this dramatic way, there was absolutely no way to miss this. That this was this powerful and unique event that the disciples weren't ever going to be left to wonder if the promise that was made was actually a promise kept. They weren't left to wonder if the Holy Spirit had come or not. It was going to be unmistakable. And God left no room for doubt. This was so clear that there would be no denying that the Holy Spirit came upon those that had gathered together. Notice a word and a phrase. The first word is just suddenly. And so you can kind of picture this, that there they are, they're all together in this upper room, and they're praying and waiting, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, quite unexpectedly, the Spirit arrives. And the phrase is that it came from heaven, that this just signifies the source of the Spirit. And so this was, in fact, the gift that the Father had promised that Jesus had earlier told them about. Now, there's a couple of supernatural phenomena that take place here, and I think it's just helpful to to understand this a little bit more. And the first is a sound, and it's described by Luke like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, if you've ever, you know, stood by a window during a massive thunderstorm, or maybe even a a, a tornado, they don't happen here very often, but in 1987, when, when the tornado hit Edmonton, I literally was driving in the opposite direction, and it was like to my immediate right. I didn't even know it was happening. I didn't have the radio on. I just thought it was a bad storm. But there was stuff flying everywhere and hitting the car, and it wasn't until I got past it as it was going north, I was going south, and, uh, and I just saw the destruction of what, what had happened. Cars turned upside down and buildings turned over and people running frantically. It is an unmistakable sound. And so they heard it. But what was unique here is that it wasn't just kind of outside the room. It was inside. This sound, like a blowing wind, filled the whole house. And both the Hebrew and Greek words for spirit 
can also mean wind or breath. And Jesus also used this image of the wind as a spirit in John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And so there's this wind that they heard. There's also tongues of fire. And so you have to picture this, something like flames that that then came into this room and, and separated. And it says that it came to each one of them individually. And so not only did they hear the coming of the Spirit, they saw it as well. And when you think about fire throughout uh, the Old and, New, Old and New Testament, there's this refining quality to the fire. And the, the use of fire here is just so rich with imagery. Now, there's two things that happened. Verse 4 says that all of them, so all of those who were gathered, the 120 of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the baptism that had been promised earlier. They were, in essence, immersed in the Spirit. And all of this fulfills the Old Testament prophetic hope for the coming of the Holy Spirit, or for the Spirit itself. Now, if that wasn't enough, they, the Bible says, began to speak in other tongues. Some translations actually will translate that same word as languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And so the filling of the Spirit enabled them to speak languages that they didn't know before, but that the people who gathered there actually knew. Now, these tongues sometimes are confused with those in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 because there the people couldn't understand what was being said in this, in this heavenly language. Here, they're actually hearing it in their own language. And I think it's important for us to notice one thing here, just kind of as we pause for a second. There was actually nothing the disciples did to make this happen. The only thing that they did was wait. Right? Because they were faithful and obedient to what Jesus had told them to do. They said, stay in Jerusalem and wait. And so they did. And that's an important posture for us to take as well. Prayerfully, expectantly, waiting for God to do what only he can do in our lives. And then when the Spirit came in power, they start proclaiming and praising God for his mighty works. Now, this feast of Pentecost meant that there were Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world that had journeyed to Jerusalem to celebrate what was known as the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Our text says that they had heard this sound But then when they heard their own languages being spoken, it confused them. It uses words like they were dumbfounded and wondered how it could be that each of them heard the wonders of God now in their own native language. I mean, what was this all about? And in verses 9 through 11, Luke records 15 different language groups who are now hearing about the wonders of God in their own language. Are you following? Can you imagine this? Your own language being spoken by people who minutes earlier didn't even know the language. That's the miracle of Pentecost. Now, I think you can appreciate the various ways that Luke tries to describe their response. In the NIV, it uses words like 
bewilderment and utterly amazed, amazed and perplexed. And what really threw them off is that the believers who were speaking these different languages were from Galilee. In verse 7, it says, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? You see, the fact that they were Galileans really stood out to them because the people from Galilee were known to have a pretty unique dialect. Normally, they were actually a little hard to understand. So you can appreciate what's actually happening here, right? Those who are hard to understand when they're even speaking their own language or the one that they know are now speaking another language clearly and fluently, a language that they had in fact never had spoken before. Well, the crowd has two responses to all of this. Most of them asked, what does this mean? Because it was unmistakable. It was dramatic. It was miraculous. They experienced this for themselves, and there was no denying it. But what does it mean? And then there was another response. Some, it says, made fun of them. They mocked them. They said, oh, they've just had too much to drink, i.e., they're drunk. They're not even making, you know, and anyways, I won't say more about that, but But aren't these kind of the two common responses to a lot of the activity of God in our world? I mean, something miraculous happens, and we're left to wonder, well, what what does this mean? But some want to dismiss it, write it off, blow it off. But we can't really deny it, and so maybe we just make fun of it. Now, I hope you're in the former group. You want to know what this all means. And so let's look at that. What does this mean? Well, I gathered these thoughts together in these these three statements. The first one is this. More intimacy. So the coming of the Spirit means this. More intimacy through the Spirit's presence. Now it's important to note that the wind and the fire had Old Testament roots. Wind and fire are common biblical symbols for the presence of God, for the presence of the Spirit. And there's a direct connection to God's glory filling the temple. Moses encountered God in the burning bush. God led the Israelites at, na- at, the Israelites at night by uh, a pillar of fire. And fire becomes the symbol of the powerful presence of God. But through this event, God is sending an important message. And it's simply this, my fiery presence is no longer in a temple, but it is now in my people. And so the significance of the fire coming in, not as a pillar, but individually separating over each individual person, communicates this message. And you know, we have all these cliche phrases about trusting Jesus, you know, I've invited Jesus into my heart, or I gave my life to Jesus. And what we're really saying is that at some point in our lives, we sense the Holy Spirit coming upon us, drawing us to God, pressing the truth of God's love into our lives in such a way that we have no choice but to say yes to Jesus. And in that moment, that moment of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit is in us and with us. But the choice that we then make is, do we then live um, 
Sorry, the choice that we then have is the, the, the flesh, which we can either feed, or the spirit. And the one that we then feed most often is the one that ultimately grows stronger within us. And that's why practices like fasting and abstaining are so critical to living a spirit-filled life. Because in doing that, we actually exercise our no muscles so that we can develop, develop the discipline of saying no to our flesh. Now, this is such a huge and important subject, and I don't want to just kind of blow over it either, but there's an important distinction, I think, to be made between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all Christians receive the Spirit. When we receive or when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we cross this line of faith and put our trust in Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus... We receive this life-giving gift. Pastor Adam will look at the remainder of Acts chapter 2 next week, but in verse 38 we find Peter, he's he's, uh, giving a speech to all the crowds. They ask, what do we got to do? And he says this, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the promise, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the time that we give our lives to God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And when He does, He comes and provides power. He he teaches us. He, He helps us to understand the Word. He leads us in our lives. He comforts us in our grief. He convicts us of sin. And all Christians receive this incredible gift. But then... Paul, in writing to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 18, he actually commands this. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And so if a believer has received the Spirit, why then does Paul command that they're filled with the Spirit? And there, if you look at those verses in chapter 5, there's a significant impact to this being filled with the Spirit. There's an influence that the Holy Spirit then has on our lives. He actually contrasts it with, with, with being drunk in essence. What are we under the influence of? And the response to the filling of the Spirit in our lives is that we speak to one another with the Scriptures, we sing, we make music in our hearts, we give thanks, and, and all of what you see is just this incredible expression of joy. Furthermore, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a great passage on life in the Spirit. You can read about it, um, but verses 16 through 25, and there's a couple of phrases that I just want to point out where he talks about walking in the Spirit and then keeping in step with the Spirit. And to walk in the Spirit means literally just to live every day in dependence upon Him. We walk out this daily life in dependence on the Spirit of God. It's this fellowship, this intimacy, this relationship that we have where we rely on the Holy Spirit to do what He came to do in our lives and what He alone can do. You see, the whole message of the Spirit, this empowering to live the Christian life means that it's not just about trying harder. It's really just about trusting more. It isn't about putting our mind to something and determining, you know, we're going to be better in this area and we're going to be more joyful and loving and whatever else. No, it's depending on the Spirit's work in our lives to do His work in us and through us. And in the middle of 
the walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those aren't things that we just decide we're going to be more of someday. It's through intimacy and a relationship with the Holy Spirit where we say, God, help me to be who you want me to be. Do your work in me so that there's greater evidence of your Spirit at work in my life. And just like the wind, we can't see the wind, can we? But we can hear it. And we can definitely see the effects of the wind. And so when the Holy Spirit kind of blows into our lives, it makes a difference. So friends, can I just encourage you? Press into the presence of the Spirit of God. Enjoy a greater intimacy. Look to experience more of His grace and His goodness in our lives. How do we do that? Well, I want to just say, like the disciples, wait, pray, expect, listen, and then respond in faithfulness and obedience. And so the first thing that this coming of the Spirit means is that we experience more intimacy through the Spirit's presence. And secondly, more unity through the Spirit's peace. Again, what does Pentecost mean? I mean, not, not literally, we've already covered that, but what does the event itself mean? And one of the major themes of Pentecost is the unity of the Spirit then. You see, while the Spirit came on each person in that room individually, the fact that they had the shared experience actually brought them together. It was the shared experience of one Spirit. The Old Testament prophets promised that the various tribes of Israel that had been scattered would one day be united and reunited under this risen King Jesus. And Pentecost marked the beginning of the church. And the church is this fellowship of unity, this this coming together of support and encouragement, of power and witness together. This group of 120 that were there in the upper room is now this new covenant family of God. And Luke details the variety of languages representing these different nations. So there's this multi-ethnicity, these international tribes. They're all drawn together, and together they praise and proclaim Jesus. And that's what the Spirit does. Brings nations together to form one new people of God. Paul in Ephesians writes about this. I'll uh, I'll, I'll start reading verse 13, but I think we'll have verses 17 and 18 up on the screen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility, by sending aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, 
We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You see, it's one Spirit that breaks down any dividing walls of race. And see, as a church, what it comes down to is that we recognize when we just have to look around this place a little bit, we go, we're different. And for sure, there's the obvious ones. There's different ethnicities and different cultures. But we're different in so many other ways as well, right? We have different passions and different personalities. We have different gifts. We do different things. We have different pursuits. Simply put, the church is this fellowship of difference. Not difference, difference. We're just all different people. But what we have in common, what unites us, what allows us to gather together in this place and essentially with one voice declare the praises of God is that we have this unity because of the peace that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives and relationships. God reconciles us to himself and to one another. There's one body. That's why Issues like racism are an absolute affront to God. John's Revelation, chapter 7, after this I looked. This is an incredible image. Try to picture this in your mind's eye right now. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from, what, every nation, every tribe, every people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what does Pentecost mean? More intimacy through the Spirit's indwelling presence, more unity through the Spirit's reconciling peace, and lastly, more ministry through the Spirit's power. You see, Jesus clearly promised this, that the Spirit would actually come and empower them to be His witnesses, to be involved in ministry, the ministry of praise and proclamation. And we'll see that the immediate result of this is that Peter stands and makes this speech and proclaims exactly what has happened in his life and the life of of the followers of Jesus. And they say, well, we want this too. What do we got to do? And that's where he answers, repent and be baptized. And you'll receive the Spirit. And so when the believers had the Spirit filled them and they spoke in these other languages, but it was what they spoke about that really stands out. They were, in verse 11, declaring the wonders of God. You see, in these languages that they previously didn't know, they started to share the stories of Jesus and what he had done in their lives. And declaring the wonders of God is something that we do every time we get together and sing. It's what we do when we get together to pray. It's what we do when we get together and share Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. It's what we do when we testify and, and, and bear witness to what Jesus is doing in our lives through the Holy Spirit. P. 
Peter, in writing about the church, he says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, he says, are a chosen people. Okay, he's talking about these, this, this, this new family of God, this, the people of God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. If you're in Christ, you're part of that. You're part of this special possession that he has. That you, not for, your sa- for yourself, you know, not for the sake of yourself and all of that, but that you may, look at, declare the praises of him. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As we'll see next week, the result of the apostles' ministry of proclamation. But this is really our role right now, that those who have been called out of darkness, called together into this one body, that the Spirit brought together, we're to declare God's goodness and faithfulness and praise Him for His work in our lives. Friends, quite simply, when Jesus promised He would send the Spirit to help us, to help us be his witnesses. He actually means for all of us to tell others about Jesus and about his work in our lives. And that's what the apostles did right after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And thousands respond as the Holy Spirit empowered their witness. So more intimacy, more unity, more ministry. Because of the Spirit's active presence in our lives, his power that is at work in our lives, and his peace that draws us together. So I ask you again, do you want more of this? Do you want more intimacy? More unity? More ministry? I encourage you, don't chase after the experience. Don't seek the experience. Seek Jesus first. And you'll never know how the Spirit, though, will manifest Himself in your life. What we can be certain of is this, that there will be more. More intimacy, more unity, more ministry because of the Spirit's presence, peace, and power. Friends, this is the stuff of revivals that we only maybe read about in ancient church history. But what would it take for God's Spirit to pour out on our church or our city? I think it's when God's people hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they pursue holiness, when they pray for greater awareness of the Spirit, when they pray for a manifest presence of the Spirit in our lives. May that be a reality in our lives and in the life of our church. Now it's fitting that we should share in communion today because it gives us an opportunity to remember the work of Jesus in our lives, recognizing that that was a work of the Spirit in our lives, drawing us to Jesus in the first place. And so I want us to just take a moment right now just to start to prepare our hearts. Just as you respond to the message this morning, what, what is the Spirit saying to you right now?
Maybe there's even a place for some confession this morning. Confession perhaps around the resistance um, to a spirit of unity or maybe a resistance to the spirit's leading in our lives where we've said no too many times to his spirit and yes too many times to our flesh. Maybe it's also a time of thanksgiving where you might just pause and thank Jesus for saving you. You thank him for the cross. Thank him for what he's done. What he's done. And maybe this morning as we take our communion cups, if you don't, didn't pick one up on the, on the way in this morning, maybe just raise your hand right now and the ushers can bring one to you. There's a few right up here. Um, and this is just a reminder for us that if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, these emblems, these are just simple symbols and reminders of what Jesus has done for us. There's one more over here, Alex. <clears throat> Let's see. You going to run out there, Alex? I see Bill at the back. But maybe this morning, just as you're receiving the bread as a symbol of Christ's broken body, as you're receiving, drinking the, the juice, which represents the symbolic of the blood that Jesus shed for us, that he died for us. That maybe in that receiving, we, we, we remember with thanksgiving that moment that we received Christ, when we received the Spirit. And so it's just a reminder to us that this is really the means for us of receiving the Spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to lead us in a, in a closing song. And so just take this time. You can stay seated. You can stand up. You can bow in prayer. You can sing along. You can be quiet before the Lord. And just ask him, what does he want to do in your life through the power of the Spirit? What is he prompting you to do? Where is he prompting you to go? And then I'm going to come back and we'll participate in, the, in this together. But just quietly take this time to reflect and to respond. Let's pray together.